Live from Metropolis, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Well, hello out there, all our one listener. <laughs> but hopefully there'll be more once we actually get the uh, podcast out. Um, but yeah, welcome back to Derailed Trains of Thought. It has been a long time. Hello, Nick. Hello, Tim. How are you doing? Pretty good. I'm getting used to this new setup here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we This is kind of fun now because we're doing a live stream. This is our first time doing this, and we it's fun. We get, actually get feedback from someone who's listening. Yeah, we, we have like 10 programs running to make sure that we don't crash while doing this thing. But. Yeah. <laughs> so hope, hopefully we uh, this is all up and running and being saved for posterity for the people who can't listen live. Um, but uh, currently we're here in Metropolis. It's... Um, it's coming, it's getting, slowly getting put back together. There's a lot of nice uh, background music most times. Yes, yes, thank, thankfully. And a lot of people are just kind of staring just uh, you very wildly <laughs> while they're talking. Yes, exactly. Oh, you know, I just realized something we did forget to open up. We were, we were going to have our Google Docs thing out for all this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do that as we're So, yeah, talking. we'll talk. Go ahead and kind of set us up here, Nick. What's, what's going on today? Well, um, we're back after, I don't know how long. It's been most of a year, I think. Uh, I think the last one we did was in January. January? Well, at least that's no. the last one we released. I think we actually recorded it, like, back in December. December. Okay. So So we're uh, trying to reboot this thing, uh, get back and talk about storytelling in various formats. Um, doing live stream, basically, so that we don't have to edit the thing. Yeah. And it seems like a little more fun. Yeah, it's just something a little different, and it just it kind of became more and more a necessity for me because with my other work stuff, I just don't have time to edit anything else. And Nick's phone is ringing. Yes, we're in uh, my kitchen right now. I know we're in Metropolis. <laughs> Your kitchen in Metropolis. Oh, yeah, I'm, I have a nice, I have a nice uh, flat here. Yeah, you rented a condo yeah. just for purposes of this podcast, so you better answer well, that. Well, I visit here quite often actually. It's a nice vacation spot. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, you Did, didn't know that. Are you just gonna go to the voicemail? Oh. Oh, that's right. You're okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, any any really major flubs we might, but some of this crazy stuff we might we'll just leave in here. We might edit some of the other stuff, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we should just leave it full on leave authentic. authentic. I think it'd be more. I think it'd be more fun that way. Much more. Certainly more. Uh, very more chaotic. Ca- very, uh, a lot of character. Yeah. <laughs> come on, it's called derailed trains of thought for a reason. Well, okay. I suppose that's true. So. All right, so I'm I'm pulling up our drive so we know what we're actually going to talk about. We actually thought ahead this time, which is unlike normal. Yeah, well, we figured we needed to sort of try to plan it out a little bit better, so we, you know, so we're not stumbling across like a madman. Which one are you pointing to? Go to the Mixler actual page. I want to see some of these. Uh, yes. I thought right here. Oh, is that the chat? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, so yeah we can talk chat with people while we're doing this thing. <laughs> yep, Aaron says authenticity rocks. So it's uh, yay! It's, we're gonna have to have Aaron um, here with us recording at some point. Oh, certainly. At some uh, at some point, we're gonna have to do a comics episode, I think. Sir, yes. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, have you talked to him about your rant tonight? I don't think so. Oh, I know that'll be interesting. I okay. knew Greg knew that we were gonna have a rant tonight. <laughs> um, but actually, that reminds me of something else I forgot to tell you. But we'll, I'll save that for later in the episode. Okay. So anyway, we'll do a... Can we go ahead with our first section here? Yes. Actually, 
I'm trying to remember if I... Where are we here? You know what? We might have had all kinds of music playing. <laughs> I just realized I forgot to actually turn off some of the, our previous stuff. So We don't yet have a sound mixing yeah. studio. So. so if you heard all kinds of weird music going on at the same time, um, sorry. <laughs> we, I don't know if we'll even be able to edit that out now that I think about it. <laughs> okay, so anyway... So let's go ahead. We'll go into our first segment here, and that is going to be Project Update. So yes, I will be more careful about that in the future. <laughs> oh my. So anyway, Project Update. Nick, you've had some big things coming I, out I have lately. had some big things lately. Um, I guess about a month ago, my fantasy novel, The Unremarkable Squire, uh, was released. Am yes. I busy trying to find ways to promote that thing? Which I think I think we talked about the unremarkable squire way back in our very first episode when you finished writing it. it yes, it's been quite the ordeal lately. <laughs> I mean, in the last couple of years, getting it published and editing it, and because that was things. that was 2010, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I started it back in like 2003. Right, so. but it's been an ongoing project since the very beginning yes. of this this podcast. Because I think it just finished the ending mm-hmm. for the. For the first episode we ever did. Yes, I think that's right. So the Unremarkable Squire um, is uh, kind of a light-hearted, humorous fantasy about this. Uh, well, he just this guy named Obed Kainas who kind of is thrown into being a squire for a kind of arrogant knight called Sir Lance Valentino, and then uh, Obed, through a variety of I guess accidents, ends up uh, having quite a role to play. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, that's kind of the, the thumbnail sketch. But there's lots of characters, there's lots of dry humor, mm-hmm. um, cool ending action scene. Yep, yeah. And I do have to, I, I should say, give some thanks here, because Nick actually dedicated this book to me. It was, it was very nice of you. Tim from, like, back in college was like, you need to finish this thing. <laughs> so I thought, well, I finished now. I better should... Yeah, probably. Tim. Might be one of the longest readers. He's, you know, yeah, yeah. You, you and David Miller. Because he, he, back in the story project days, yeah, he stole. That's right. Well, two two of the characters' name, two characters from story project, got their name from this. One of one was yours, Sir Lance. Oh, he wasn't a knight, and he wasn't story yeah, project. He, in story project, he was just Lance Valentino, yep. um, and which was a much nicer character than he actually is in the book. Yes, and then, yeah, they, they really don't have much overlap in characterization. It just the names were fun. Yeah, well, I mean, kind of the the. You know, uh, both idea. the idea, yeah. Lan- both lances are kind of flamboyant. Yeah. You know, big and boisterous, and yeah. both Obeds are kind of mysterious, although in two completely different ways. Now, our one listener here has actually was participating in Story Project. That's so true. So he knows what we're talking about for once. Wow. <laughs> it's so refreshing. <laughs> but yeah, that, actually, so yeah, that was, that was a nice touch, but it actually did say... My mom did actually say it. It, it kind of made her tear up a little bit. So it's like, oh, nice. So oh, that's cool. Uh, otherwise, just normal life. Um, well, you have other projects you're working on, like uh, your uh, short story. Oh, my short. And actually, that's true. Thank you. The short story, The Clock Tower, um, should have come out tomorrow, actually. Oh, okay. Um, just a short story I've had in my head for like two years. Well, you've been t- talking about writing a clock tower story, like... For ages. For ages. Yeah, I like clock towers. Probably at least as long as I've been talking with you about the Squire. Yes, that's true. So I finally... And I started it, like, two years ago, and then it just... I couldn't figure out how to keep moving on it. So it's finished, 
all that talk about how long it took doesn't necessarily reflect on how awesome of a story it is. I think it's a good story, but, you know, after when I say I've been working on it for two years, it makes people think it's like, ooh. <laughs> and it just is a nice story. It's been kind of an off and on sort of Yeah, thing. yeah, just trying to find their way to do it. And I, I mean, I really enjoy it. I think it's a really good story. Um, does it not, does it live up to? I mean, you said on your uh, on your website that doesn't live up to the to the uh, cover image you picked out for it. But does it live, live live up to? I know you said you were inspired to do a clock tower story from Great Mouse Detective, and, and uh, Puss Boots travels around the world. Oh, okay, yeah, I thought and Castle Cogliosa. And Castle Cogliosa. It's um, it actually is not action oriented in any way. Oh really? No. Oh, I'm see that surprises me. I thought see, it would be. Yeah, it's hard for me to write a short story that's action-oriented. I mean, most of my short story ideas tend to be more about ideas, and so the clock tower is more of an idea. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Aaron says he actually, he also remembers you doing a clock tower story uh, when you heard a remix <laughs> from Castlevania. That oh, because they had the awesome remix uh, of the clock tower song. From from Castlevania. Oh, from Castle. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. So, oh, yeah, man, good memory, Aaron. I don't even remember that. <laughs> um, but yeah, a clock tower has been a thing for me, and I'll probably throw them in something else. But this, I don't know if I knew it when I started writing it, but I then start read. Lately, I've read a lot of Bradbury. Like I read Illustrated Man, and the Dandelion Wine just got done with quicker than the eye, um, and I think that's helped me find how to finish the story. Okay. So there's a lot of that sort of story in i guess it's more of the the idea than action in this case you, you just said ray bradbury so that's all the more reason aaron is gonna I love don't. you for this thing <laughs> <laughs> it's all aaron all the time <laughs> well when you know people are listening it's then, exciting. then you get to you know kind of pander to them yeah. a bit so anyway so if you're listening to this after the fact this will encourage you to listen live next time yeah so um otherwise than that oh i'm not teaching this year oh uh, yes and partly because I hope to get some writing done. <clears throat> Stern and Fred. Uh, that, that is actually Stern, right Stern here. Oh, cool. Is uh, what I have written of the second part of Stern and Fred. In your hand. In my hands. Um, to refresh me what's going on. It's about 25,000 words. The second third. Oh, the second third. The second third. Okay. Of, it. of Fred's part. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought you said you had like 90,000 words. Yeah, I have 90,000 words written or typed. All together. All together. The first section is 60,000 words, which is substantial. Okay. So that's why I've got going here. <laughs> uh, Brosman said panda, 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 which I was like, I'm not sure what that means at first, but then he's like, oh, because we said pander. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. All right. So, Tim, what have you been up to? Well, basically, um, as far as the creative field, a lot of that's taken from my, my two jobs, my full-time job doing stuff with um, mainly archery tag. The people that do archery tag have like half a dozen other companies that, that they also run, but mainly is archery tag is my focus. And uh, so I do promotions for them for their YouTube channel and uh, haven't really done anything that I'd say has been a big project wise, but we have been getting better, I think, lately at uh, at posting more regular updates on our YouTube channel, which I like. I hope to get to a place where we're doing something, even if it's not something big, if we're posting something on our YouTube channel like once a week. Um, and usually right now that's something they're always going to events um, and putting up stuff from that so and usually i'll i'm trying to do like show like a little highlight from that or if they met someone really interesting that has a really neat story to tell about how like we just did one about um 
someone who had never uh, tried archery before. And um, by the end, they were, you know, shooting bullseyes, hitting bull. Um, if you don't, if you don't know what archery tag is, it's basically like paintball or dodgeball, but with bows of foam-tipped arrows. Um, I think I mentioned on here before. Um, but anyway, that's what's going on. And I hope to do some bigger projects sometime soon. Just sometimes it's that's the harder thing to do than the the little things. Um, but so there's that. Also been keeping busy with my other job, a part-time job for my church, doing videos. I do video announcements for them almost every week. Uh, but sometimes we just replay stuff. Um, but church has been really busy lately because it's just we just it's been growing amazingly. We just moved into a new auditorium, um, and which we almost broke rec like attendance records just the opening day. <laughs> so we're like, oh man, I really hope we don't have to build another <laughs> building right away. <laughs> So, but no, that's, that's been good. Um, so yeah, keeping busy there. And then there's also our, um, collaborative projects still going on. Yes. Uh, children of the wells, which I think we had mentioned. I think, well, we had hinted at it for a long time and then previously. I th previously, and then I think we finally just, um, I think we spelled out what it was. But it hadn't started. We had started in April. Yeah. So it's been unfortunate that we haven't actually gotten a chance to talk about it in on the podcast until now. And maybe on another episode, we might go in depth about some aspect of it, but largely it's a serialized fantasy world. Mm -hmm. um, and it's set up almost episodically where one author will write a, basically a novella that's serialized about a character in a, you know, it's complete like an episode of TV, but it has cliffhanger sort of ending and keeps moving. And we have uh, the first episode, so-called novella, was uh, The Select's Bodyguard about a um, scientific city called Jalcean and just suffered a giant disaster. And the main story is this guy named Bron trying to um, protect this select, this basically magic user named Clea. Mm -hmm. And then we have two going on right now. Yep, so the first novella or is, is finished and is available. You can, well, you can read the whole thing on the website, uh, childrenofthewells.com, or you can download an ebook um, mm -hmm. for, or we, that's, that's, Pay what you want for Pay your, if you want to, you know, if you like us, you can give us money. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's, so that's all complete. But then we have two new novellas. One is a sequel to the Select Bodyguard that's going on right now. It's being serialized. And uh, another one from a, about a completely different character in a completely different city. And that is, and that's written, but being written by uh, Nathan Marchand, who's been on here before. And he's said we name drop him a lot. Yes. Um, Nathan Marshan. <laughs> and then the the sequel to Select's Bodyguard is actually being written by Laura Fisher, who has also been on this podcast. Yes. If you haven't noticed, we tend to reuse people a lot. <laughs> we have good friends who are like, hey, we're going to draft you in like all kinds of projects. And it usually works. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, that's going that's going pretty well, and we're excited about that. Um, how far, let's see. I'm trying to think of how far those two novels uh, in are The Fall right of the House of Kaiser. Which is Nathan's. Which is Nathan's is winding towards the end yeah I've... it has a couple weeks left but it's winding towards the end and uh the doctor's assistant which is uh laura's is probably not quite halfway okay it, yeah it just started like chapter six right i think so okay. I, I don't know i don't remember now okay so yeah it's good time to jump in on some of that and um we will get you in on on this eventually at some point aaron i think we have an idea for how you can be a part of it um, but anywho, uh, I think that's a rather lengthy project update. It is a rather lengthy. Well, it's been a while. It's we been had, quite a while, and I'm had, sure there's more we'll add in future. 
At, yes, at a future time. But in the meantime, it's time for the meat and the heart of this podcast. The and meat and heart. <laughs> the meat. Like chicken heart. Chicken hearts. Those are. Well, something. I was, I was, I was, I was kind of combining meat and potatoes and heart and soul, and I came out really kind of a whole bunch of different potty parts. But anyway, that segment is story school. Okay, story school is when we talk about uh, anything. It could be anything related to stories, basically. Uh, sometimes we get very philosophical. Sometimes we're just kind of fanboying about something we like. Occasionally we'll be practical, but not usually. <laughs> yes. Like way back in the beginning, we did like how to manage your time. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, how do you manage your time was more like how it was. Yeah. <laughs> so, something like that. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we don't really have the answers, but we pretend we do. Um, so anyway, this time we're going to tackle... Um, let's see if I can find my Google Docs here. This time we're, we're talking about realism in fantasy. And this is the part where we really need our notes for. Um, realism in fantasy, or I put as a subtitle for this, the art of suspending disbelief. Um, this topic kind of came about because, well, the, sort of I was ranting to Nick about reactions to a certain movie this summer. Um, and I'll just, I'll just go ahead and go into that now. Uh, we were talking about Man of Steel, which was a very divisive film among um, fans of the genre. I mean, it did very well um, at the box office. Um, but different people had very differing opinions on, on this movie. Um, before I go into my, my rant about it, Nick, let, real quick, what, what is kind of your quick take on it? My quick take on Man of Steel? Yeah. Um, I don't know about a quick take on it. You put me <laughs> on the spot. Um, well, I enjoyed it. I thought it was entertaining. But largely, I think my perception of the divisiveness is people having ideas of what Superman should do mm -hmm. versus of, of the Superman they made for the movie. Right. Um, with uh, a twist thrown in by uh, Zachary Snyder's style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because not everyone likes Zachary Snyder's... Uh, is it Zachary or just Zach? It's it's just probably, Zach, it's Zach. Hey, I got a brother Snyder. named Zach, so yeah, okay. Zach Snyder style, right? Uh, because he's very over the top in many ways. Yes, yes, he is. Um, yeah, and if longtime listeners to this podcast have know, I've I've talked about Superman before, and I was really, I really, really wanted this to be a good movie, like uh, a popular movie, because I felt like uh, Superman just hasn't been utilized well enough, especially by Hollywood, but also because like. Superman Returns was a movie I liked when I first saw it, but then the more the more I thought about it afterwards, things bugged me a lot. Um, yeah, Aaron says example about Zack Snyder oh, three hundred. Yeah, exactly. Which you have to remember, Aaron's listening to this a little delayed, right, so that's true. why his comments are kind of trailing off sometimes. But anyway, um, but yeah, Superman Returns just bugged me because it basically had Superman being a deadbeat dad, um, like. <laughs> He fathers a child, then goes off to explore the galaxy for five years. And no one hears of him. And I'm like, you're trying to portray Superman as this really perfect, you know, godlike figure, which I think is an interest is a valid way of doing Superman. The whole deadbeat dad thing really undercuts what you're going for. Well, and you really enjoy kind of the the perfect hero. Yeah, we've had that art that discussion before. Yeah, and I and I really do enjoy the perfect hero. But it was pretty clear, I felt, from the trailers to this that. 
that wasn't exactly what they were going for. And I mean, I'll admit I was worried about that. Um, it did seem that they were going to go with, you know, Clark, you know, really, um, worrying about how he should use his powers about, you know, if people would be afraid of him, you know, there was a little bit of an X-Men slash spider. It was kind of a Marvel feel to be honest to the way they were going about it. Um, which, you know, it was, to be honest, wouldn't be the way I would have chosen it. That being said, I was I was generally pleased with the execution. If that was the method you were going to use, I felt they handled it pretty well. I felt like they they you know they went the whole way with it. And most importantly, I felt personally that they kept Clark's inner goodness in the sense that he constantly wanted to help people, but because of his father's um, influence. And if side note, if any character was the most radically changed character in the story is arguably Pa Kent. The whole trying to keep him, you know, contained, not wanting him to do anything too obvious or anything like that. Um, I think Pa Kent is the most different character. So, but Clark and Clark is different because of that. Um, but I felt he was still wanting to do good. He still had that desire, innate desire in him. He was still a very, very good character. So the whole debate about Man of Steel wound up, I think, really being, in a sense, about that last um, fight with Zod in Metropolis. The the whole, you know, Metropolis gets pretty torn up in this yeah. movie. I mean, there's lots of destruction. And I, and I feel like a lot of that re- reaction is, I feel like a lot of the built-up frustration with blockbuster movies that have all these really scenes of death and destruction and stuff like I, I never saw it, but I know battle that or what was it, battle Los Angeles or battlefield oh, yeah. Los Angeles yeah. was like that. The GI Joe movie was ridiculously like, I, I didn't like, like they nuked London <laughs> in the, in the recent GI Joe movie. And I was like, they should be able to stop that. I mean, like you don't let just, you know, it, in a comic booky, you know, cheese, corny, cheesy movie like yeah. that, where you want it to just be fun, you don't want to see like millions of people die. Yeah. Um, now, but I felt, I felt the destruction of Metropolis worked in this case, partly because you know it's Zack Snyder's style. Yeah. It's very over top. The whole thing was kind of, you know, it, it went along with the you know gods at war sort of feel yeah um side note I, this is my favorite krypton that i've seen in probably any <laughs> medium i loved like krypton is usually like a really weird planet sometimes they do you know when comics do future or alien planets it just comes out weird and like i'm glad superman's not there anymore <laughs> uh, i, I love the like roman feel they did with yeah. krypton um but that's a side note so anyway i felt the i felt a lot of the action was going well with you know, the, the, like I said, the whole gods at war thing that they were doing. And yet at the same time, and also fit in with this Clark is in over his head. This is a Superman who is Aaron agrees. G.I. Joe is totally over the top. I'll read more of that comment later. Um, but yeah, Superman is totally in over his head. He's not been most other Superman, Superman movies have, um, you know, and I guess oh, let's go back. We'll jump back to the perfect hero thing real quick. And I will let you interject here, Nick, because I know I'm talking a lot. No, I, I want you to go before I yeah. talk. 
Um, I know a lot of what people didn't like about this movie is they were like, Superman didn't save anyone. He, you know, he let this whole city, you know, get destroyed. And, you know, and it was fat. What was fascinating to me about this is that before this movie, you talked, you heard any of the popular scuttlebutt about Superman is what that is that he was too perfect, that he's a Boy Scout, that he's too unrealistic. Here you have a movie where they're trying to be realistic. They're, you know, they're kind of saying this is a Clark that doesn't have it all together. He doesn't have it all together. He's not Christopher Reeves, who's been, you know, fighting crime for years, basically, and, you know, can think quick about how to handle any given situation. Um, This is a Superman that doesn't like he's in over his head. He's never been trained to You've learned to fly like a week ago. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, even uh, Smallville Clark can't do a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah. He'd been, exactly, he'd been Superman for like 10 years or 10 yeah. seasons at least before <laughs> he actually started wearing the cape. Um, and I've never seen an episode of Smallville, but that's what I know about it. Um, so it it really, really frustrated me because like, I feel like, I, I really felt like they had, like, for the type of Superman story they were telling, and this was, I mean, there's no doubt about it, this is like an Elseworlds um, Superman story. You know, Elseworlds is the DC line of stories that are not really in the DC canon, like Red Sun, you know, yeah. su- if, what will happen if Superman landed in Russia instead of the US. Yeah. And this is this is like an Elseworlds story. Granted, it's not the typical Superman, it's not a typical Christopher Reeve but for this version of the story, I felt it was pretty valid. So, okay, anyway, I'll stop ranting for a no, little bit. And I, I agree. I think I, I thought this earlier today when I was like, what are we going to talk about? I was thinking your concept is realism versus fantasy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where did that come? You know, fantasy in this case would be a perfect Superman who knows what's going on and mm-hmm. all that. And they added the realism of, look, he doesn't know. He's figuring it out. He's kind of angsty. Mm-hmm. You know, the military doesn't trust him. Yeah. You know, he's like this god that, you know, could beat up the entire world if he wanted to. And I was thinking that movies in some ways have a, I'm going to spoil this world, a worldview. Hmm. Not as in, not like they're selling philosophical point of view, but they're like, this is the type of movie we're trying to be. And here are the sort of things we'll let ourselves get away with or not get away with. You know, Chinese action movies yeah. have a different, you know, there's certain things you accept because they've created this, this realm of possibility that you just, okay, and you, know, you try to do that in G.I. Joe, you're like... What is this? Um, well, okay. So to a certain extent, I mean, the GI Joe movie had. Well, uh, I didn't see GI. Joe. I didn't see the new one. So it, okay. This was my my favorite <laughs> part of the new GI Joe movie was ninjas repelling along cliffside and having a fight like along the side of a cliff. Well, but like, see, but that's if, awesome. If they'd been jumping on top of trees, that would've been weird. Okay. Yeah. If they were, they weren't. No, they weren't. But they, doing, they uh, had a heightened sense of ridiculous action. You know. And, yeah. And you. And when you go to G.I. Joe, if you're not expecting that, you're going, to be, you're going to be weirded out. And I think the problem is Superman has so many different expectations from people mm-hmm. that to do what is largely a very different and modern view, um, as opposed to the more mythic view, is really hard for people. I know I talked to Brian Scherchel, who's our, you know, our classic movie commentator. He, could not, he didn't like the movie at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd much rather have a standard Christopher Reeve. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it's really funny because here, like, uh, you know, I've advocated before. I love that Superman is kind of a perfect hero. You know, I've, I wrote that whole like essay and I can go on spiels about that a lot. Um, and I like that aspect of him in the comics. I don't know. Like, 
I think there is a certain there is a certain moment where, like you say, you kind of have to go with the world that you know that they're setting up. You go with their with the creators. Now I will setup. say, the the addition of the almost almost over top speed, you know, Mach 20 fight scenes, which I thought was cool. I enjoyed it in the moment. But, yeah, I love that stuff. But, like, my dad went with us, and he thought some fight scenes went a little long, and I thought, well, if I had to go watch it immediately after, yeah. it might it might be a little long. And then you get into issues, not just the world they've created, but the type of, the way Snyder delivers action. Mm-hmm. And then that's an even more narrow thing. And so I can see maybe being okay with the Superman is portrayed, but not with the 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 style the, the the technicality of the action I I can see that and I mean I'll admit myself I didn't feel like it was a uh, a perfect one um it w- it wasn't a perfect movie like I even when like Zod came back down to Metropolis and they were getting ready for the next fight I was kind of like oh we're really gonna do this I thought we were done <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was still trying yeah. to be a cool fight but I, I understand how people were you know kind of battle weary by that point. But- but the thing is, the movie unapologetically from the beginning gives has a sci- sci-fi leaning to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of those kind of, you know, the battles are very sci-fi. The flying's very, you know, has that kind of edge to it. And, and the so Krypton, again, is very sci-fi. Yeah, I mean, that's what sets it up, you know, largely. The whole, the whole genetic uh, engineering aspect. So, but, but I do think there is this, this tension for people sometimes on how much fancy or realism do they want. A lot of... We've talked before, a lot of riff tracks mentality mm-hmm. in movies comes from watching something and saying, though, that's not how it would really happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, you know, you go watch some action movie and then you go watch Mythbusters and they show you the car won't blow up when you hit a wall, <laughs> which yeah. is true. And if you're watching, say, a Bourne movie, it shouldn't blow up. <laughs> yes. Because that's the, it's a realistic movie. But if you're watching, you know, a team, if mm-hmm. a tank's falling out of a plane... It can do crazy stuff. <laughs> um, and that's not everyone's style, but I think that's a different issue from saying it's a bad movie. Yes, that's true. And it, it does get tricky, too, like you, like you said, when you have different expectations. I mean, like, the Bond movies are constantly changing how the level of realism to, to ridiculousness. I mean, like, Casino Royale with Daniel Craig strives to be kind of, you know, very realistic sort of thing. Then you get the Quantum of Solace, which I haven't seen, but my brother-in-law commented, it's like, why did they have explosives in, like, every pillar of this parking garage? It, it, it became, you know, there are moments that become so ridiculous. Then because you're sort of expecting us to go to a more realistic level, then some of the fantasy stuff rings a little hollow. And I think largely the move of the general population or perception is towards realism. Mm-hmm. I think, you know... I'm, and again, I'm not seeing Game of Thrones. I just read a little bit of it back in the day. But it's a it's a fancy novel without much magic. It's very political. It's very, you know, there's that, it's kind of the in thing now to give the realistic t- twist to a thing. Which it can be really interesting. Iron Man 3, you know, he has post-traumatic stress. Yeah. You know, it's a ridiculous, I mean, it's a, he's a ridiculous superhero. I mean, <laughs> well, he, I mean, he's not ridiculous, but he's just funny. And over, you know, he built like 200 Iron Man. I mean, yeah. how much money does that take? <laughs> well, again, well, that's a case where, you know, you want to have emotional realism to a certain yeah. extent, you know, a lot of comic book movies nowadays, you know, you want to have that emotional intelligence, yeah. um, in a sense, even if the concept of what the guy is doing is, you know, yeah. pretty far fetched. Um, I know um, 
back when Cloverfield came out, a lot of people complained that all the dialogue was all inane and vapid. You know, they're just screaming, and like the first 20 minutes when they're just at a party, it's just mm-hmm. like watching a whole movie. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, kind of the point. I mean, but they didn't want that much realism. That's how people actually talk. <laughs> if you run away from a giant monster, you're not going to say anything intelligent. Right. You know, <laughs> well, I, th- I think Roger Ebert said that one time. It's like if most movies talk the way people actually talk, it'd drive you crazy. Now, you know, like I remember Dr. Hensley, my writing teacher, saying you don't want to write people like that actually sound because then it'd be boring. But in an experimental thing like Cloverfield, I think it worked. But people people want the version of a thing they want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which Very profound thought from Nick. <laughs> they want the version of thing they want. Because, yeah, I mean, there there are definitely times when um, the realism can detract from the fantasy. And there are times when the fantasy can detract from the, you know, feeling engaged with it. And a really good movie doesn't, you don't even think about it. I mean, and that's hard to pull off sometimes. Yeah. To just do, drag you in so much that you're not even thinking about until after the fact. Oh, wait a second. Yeah. That wouldn't work or this. You know, and, and movies are largely emotional. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have... A, I mean, they can be intellectual movies, but a lot of, at least blockbusters, connect the dots emotionally first and logically right. after. And that, I mean, that, and sometimes that's a cheap thing. Sometimes that's just bad writing. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's really tricky, too, with our culture where we're constantly reevaluating pop culture. Like, you know, like, I think the uh, the web series how it should have ended the cartoon i think you know it's funny but i think they also takes a lot of cheap shots sometimes because they they'll go for like something that should be like an obvious answer it's like well why didn't the filmmakers think of that that just seems so obvious well there's reasons why they didn't do this sort of thing and i've complained to you about the <laughs> the uh the how it should have ended thing with war of the rings and people say this all the time like i constantly hear this i'm like no, this is not a problem. The thing about where why don't why didn't they just take the eagles into Mount Doom and just drop it in? You know, problem solved. It's not that easy. Like plus, there's no story. The, yeah, for one, <laughs> for one, there would be no story, obviously. And then for another thing, you think that anyone's not just going to be able to see this group of eagles flying in? You know, the the ring rays would be all over that. Heck, Sauron would be all over that. You know, yeah. he could he could see anything. One does not simply fly into Mordor. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> so, I don't know. For me, I feel like like you, you want your story to, to feel like it holds water and it's realistic. But I also feel like there should be more. And I've, I've said this before and back in the How to Read a Story episode. And I feel like there... There should be greater trust on the part of the audience. Like, if you want this to be a good story, work with the storyteller. Don't feel like you have to go back and pick it apart, you know, all the time after that. So, what do you think? Well, actually, thing before that, um, talking about, or you said the alternate title for this discussion was the suspension of disbelief. And one of those movies that you know, sometimes people make a fantasy movie and try to make it very detailed, you know, very realistic within its fantastic elements. John Carter, I felt, was like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's very, I mean, he's pulpy. I mean, he was unabashedly pulpy. Oh, yeah. And it should have been. Yeah. But I feel like that movie, when I, I, I love the movie, and it would, you know, transport me to a whole other world, but I felt like it was one of those movies that required you to, you had to deeply invest in the world they were creating, or you could just sit back and be like, what are all these strange aliens, and why do they care about this fill-in-the-blank? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I think, and, and those movies are hard sell. And honestly, that's why sometimes, if you're, I've, I've said this before, so I won't say it again. Go ahead. No, <laughs> I've repeated myself oh, before I, anyway, well, so I, go ahead. I, I, I was just saying, every time I watch A New Hope, I watch it and think, there is like a sliver of a line separating this from a B-movie. Especially, you watch the first 10 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, it's, but it works somehow because it, it convinces you wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm what it wants to be. Right. And I get like, you know, there's always going to be people who, you know, they can't get into the fantasy sort of thing, you know, like my dad, he, like he couldn't get into the art. I said before, he couldn't really get into the artistic side of uh hero with Jet Li. Cause yeah. you got people like dressed in different colors every time you, you just see the artificiality of it. But if you're going into a sci-fi movie, you enjoy that sort of thing. Then yeah, I think it, I think it, I think it behooves you to, um, like, like you said, it's and it's not necessarily that you're giving up. Like that, there has to be logical reasons. I mean, obviously, yeah, some movies are bad. They just oh yeah, they just jump logical. You know, Sharknado. Yeah, <laughs> no, on like that's meant to be bad. Or... I know, I know. When you watch it, you're like, no. You know what's the worst part? Do you watch that? No. Okay, the worst part is not that you know, you expect the bad acting and the bad plotting and the bad graphic. What makes it almost unwatchable is the editing is just horrendous. <laughs> it just. Anyways, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, any any one of those aspects can pretty derail a, a movie pretty quickly. Um, but I like the way you, you put it. Like, you know, you do have to be invested into Barsoom and to really enjoy John Carter. Mm-hmm. Be- because, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that was like, I'm not really following what these white alien, the, what are the Watcher type guys? Yeah. It's like, I'm not really following what their plan is, eh, but I'll go yeah. with it. <laughs> I knew we'd get to one of these before. Keep talking. I forgot what I was going to say. Well, I, I think we've we've covered a lot of that, but let's let's talk real quick because we have because you have it in your outline here, um, and then we should try, probably try to wrap this up. Um, what are some examples of uh, a really good balance or really bad balance? Like you mentioned in your outline here, is Scott Pilgrim, where like you have this really over the top. And it just works. I mean, it works effortlessly. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the amazing thing about that movie. I think Edgar the Wright... The movie should have fallen apart. <laughs> well, I think Edgar Wright, the director of that, said that the way they kind of conceived it, that they worked it out is... Because if you haven't seen it, you've, you've got all these really ridiculously over-the-top anime-esque style fight scenes mixed in with video game humor and graphics and things like that. I think I think the way he finally he described it was like... They treated the fight scenes sort of like musical numbers in a musical, where this is just a world where sometimes people break into song and dance and they do this. Well, this is just a world where people, you know, break out a guitar that can send out shock waves, and you know that's just <laughs> that the nature. Sense. That's just the nature of the world. You just kind of work with it. And plus, you know, and people have in tuned. You know, we have certain schemes that we understand movies by. Mm-hmm. And we understand musicals. You know, some people think musicals are ridiculous, but most people understand. Okay, in a musical. You're going to sing after something important happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I suppose by using that scheme, it made it easier for us to kind of go in and out of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of a, I guess you could sort of call it a template that yeah. they just kind of adjusted and switched. And... Yeah, I suppose maybe the template is the is the thing that help, helps determine, the, helps people deal with this. If they're, you know, their template of superhero movies, one thing, mm. it comes out as something else. Yeah. It could either be a good or a bad thing, depending. And that, yeah, that's true, because that, 
you know, Zack Snyder is a different, definitely a different sort of take on a superhero movie yeah. than, say, Christopher Nolan. Exactly. Even though Christopher Nolan was a producer on this. Um, well, I feel like Christopher Nolan added all the all the realism and Zachary <laughs> Snyder, uh, Zack Snyder added all the, you know, the crazy stuff. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, the Like you said, the Mach 3 <laughs> fighting. Which was a like black, yeah, it was ridiculous <laughs> and fun. Yep. That so, was my main, my, that, that one always comes up when I think of a movie that's just completely different, that really worked. I mean, there's some movies that are completely different, and you're like, that kind of worked. Mm-hmm. You know, we always mention, you know, Labyrinth or yeah. um, Mirror Mask, which we saw, which yeah. actually did a pretty good job, too. Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah, that, that worked within the world that they were doing, basically, yeah. for it. But, you know, it's just, when, you, when it almost works, it tends to become a cult classic. Yeah. <laughs> right, where, like, only certain people can really appreciate what, yeah. what they're trying to do. Well, we better wrap this up because long already today. This is very long, and well, we knew we kind of would be. Um, so, just a quick summary. Um, yeah, <laughs> it is. A, it is a balance, you know, because realism. And there's a lot of demand for realism nowadays because people have been over. They've been inundated, I think, with over-the-top fantastical things, mm-hmm. and trying to find that balance in a story. You know, and each story demands a different look. Yes. You know, Buckethead. If you ever read that. Is you know is purposely extravagant, mm-hmm. or Isle of Gold, which is another story of mine is purposely written in this literary literary, f- you know, and I don't write like that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's different than another story. You know, every story demands demands a certain style to tell it the best way, mm-hmm. and trying to find that balance as a writer sometimes is rough. And if you you know if you break that balance somewhere, people you know just get they get pulled out of the moment. You know, you do a funny scene at the wrong time or a serious scene at the wrong time, mm-hmm. like. Really impressive. I didn't watch it, but any movie that's like one of those kind of serious comedies, mm-hmm. or is always very interesting because sometimes you're trying to. My wife just watched um, a friend for finding a friend for the end of the world. Okay, I think that's what it's called. With Never Steve heard of Krell it. and uh, Keira Knightley. Okay, I think. Um, but it's about the actual end of the world, and because it's a comedy, she kind of kept things that the end of the world was going to be more of a joke at the end, like it wasn't actually going to end. But the oh. world actually ends. And it makes sense in the movie, but your perceptions of what's coming when it's bordering that line of comedy and Whether philosophy not, is like, yeah. is this going to... Yeah. And which maybe was the point of the movie. I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. but Interesting. And I would say, you're talking about from a writer, how, how to try to find that balance. I would say as as a viewer or as a reader, I'd say, you know, be willing to, to suspend disbelief. You know, work, you know, Meet the author halfway. Does the story work within the context of what they're trying to do? And if it doesn't, of course, that's fine. You know, sit, you know, you don't have to like everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's certainly, and we've said before, there's definitely a difference between liking something and recognizing it did what it set out to do. All right. Anyway, we'll move on. We keep talking, but yep, we'll move on. It is time for our first soundtrack. Oh yeah. Okay, so Hank, bear with me a minute because uh, Nick has got a soundtrack picked on. <laughs> Aaron says he loves Frog's theme, so but this is not the actual soundtrack. Uh, we typically pick out a song um, that we that we play. It's kind of an inspiration for stories. Um, oh, I, are you playing the whole the whole uh, stinger, huh? Yeah, yeah. That's the, the oh. stinger is is from the theme of theme of frogs. Oh yeah. 
So that's that's why Aaron brought that up. Um, and he's got this is one of his ringtones apparently. But anyway, <laughs> I gotta pull this up real quick so we can play it. Nick, why don't you go ahead and set this up? Okay, so um, we're talking about Rhythm versus Fantasy. I usually I, I just used it as an excuse to play a longtime favorite Overclocked Remix song um, from the Heroes vs. Villains album, which is one of my favorites. Um, this is remixed from Monkey Island, or Secret of Monkey Island, one of those Monkey Island uh, games. Uh, remixed by Diggy Dis, and it's called, I believe, he's looking it up for me, Voodoo Roots and Grog. And it's uh, Le Chuck's theme, and it's uh, fabulous, and I picked it partly because there's live trombone, which is awesome, and then there's an, a fabulous chiptune breakdown, like, halfway through it. So it's a nice combination of live music and, you know, made-up music. I, I mean, that's not the <laughs> word I wanted. I lost my wording, but... Well, yeah, live music and chiptunes, basically. Yeah, chiptunes, which I like chiptunes, so... Yeah. So, okay. Um... But I hope you enjoy. It's uh, one of my favorites. All right. Synthesize. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Here we go. Thank you. 
Alright, so we're back. <laughs> this has been a kind of a whirlwind thing here. So, we're going on to our next section. Which is our take on Tales. Okay, so we're going to do what we typically do uh, around this time of the year. Um, actually, I was wondering, our, our last time we did our Take on Tales might have been doing summer movies, just it like we're doing might now. Might have been, yeah. We haven't done a Take on Tales very often yeah. in the last sections. So it's been another summer has come, come and gone of uh, movies and stuff. I think we may have lost our Google Doc, but that's okay. Oh, that's okay. We can run. We, we know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so, first off, as always, we talk about superhero movies. Yes. So, which we, is most summers. Yes. <laughs> so, but we have to go. We have to go all the way back to the beginning of May for the first one, though. Iron Man three. Iron Man three. I enjoyed Iron Man three. I really did too. I thought it was better than two. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, they did really some really fun stuff with the suit this time around. <laughs> well, what I really appreciate too is that they they've given Tony Stark an arc. You know, he's not the same. By the end of this movie, he's very different than he was at the beginning of the first movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like kind of an ending. Yeah, it re it really does feel like it could be an ending for the uh, Robert Downey Jr. Which in a f I, which I'm okay with. I mean, obviously, I hope to see him in, re in Avengers too. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I want to see him do other things. I want to see other uh, Marvel superheroes, Ant-Man of all things, apparently. Well, why not? <laughs> why not? I, <laughs> I know absolutely nothing about Ant-Man, but it could be fun. Um, so uh, it's been a really good run for Iron Man. And, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Now, I'm not a hardcore Iron Man fan. No, we know uh, Nathan, our friend Nathan, did not much care for Parts of the movie. The uh, well, there there were certain people. If if you were a hardcore Iron Man fans, I I know some people didn't like what they did with um, the Manchurian. The Manchurian, which I thought was clever. Yeah, I mean, I'm not invested in them at all. Yeah, I mean, I can see how people could get ticked off, but for, yeah, for not knowing anything about them, I thought it really worked well, for what well, they were it's doing. A, it's kind of a neat thing to do because comic book movies are like comic books; they keep rewriting themselves. They're not, you know, they reinterpret the stories yet again. And I thought it was a neat way to keep. People who knew what, thought they knew what was going to happen, off their guard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but that that's certainly a case where if you expect one thing, and get something else. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought it was really clever, and you know, when I made this um, connection back when I was watching it, I just remembered that Tony Stark keeps saying, um, or the Manchurian keeps saying, "Who am I?" or "I know who I am," or something along those lines. And Tony Stark says the same lines a couple times. And what's interesting is that the Manchurian seems all that, and it's just basically Tony Stark in in movie one. Mm -hmm. um, and Tony Stark actually has become a person of substance. Yes. Um, and I thought that was a nice uh, parallel thematically. I could see that. So, yeah, that was pretty good. It's been months since I actually saw it, so I don't know if I have too much more no. to say about it than I that. Just, it was enjoyable, and the giant teddy bear was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Man of Steel, we've talked about we, quite a bit. Uh, ad nauseum. So. I, I will throw this la one last thing in here about that, because uh, I know some people were upset about Superman killing someone, which, again, I can sort of, I can see that, um, you know, Superman has a pretty, you know, pretty high ethical code of not killing people, um, but again, I go back to, this is a brand new Superman, he doesn't know what he's doing, and honestly, you could devote an entire movie. They have done a whole Superman movies in the, uh, some of the animated one that has been about that that very issue. So 
I thought it was, in the moment, a pretty natural response. And given what Superman had, what do you do with a man like Zod? Yeah. Or a Kryptonian like Zod? Yeah. Well, I mean, eventually, yeah, eventually, like, I mean, are you going to put him in jail? He doesn't have access to the Phantom Zone. Mm-hmm. I mean, this current Superman. Yeah. So, I mean, even if it wasn't in the manner that they depicted, which, you know, I can see how that could have been handled a little bit different. I mean, I do agree with some people. It would have been nice to kind of see Superman rebuild, helping rebuild Metropolis afterwards. Instead of just kind of that, hey, you better just trust me now sort of thing. It would have been nice to kind of see him, you know, helping dig people out of rubble and stuff like that. Yeah, they like kind that. of built that danger to him. Like, if he wasn't good, he'd be yeah, horrible. Right, right. But And I kind of have a funny feeling that it will be a major feature of the next one. You know, kind of like how I was the only one, it felt like, who had a major problem with the way The Dark Knight ended. Um, I have a feeling that, and then it came back in uh, The Dark Knight Rises, the mm-hmm. way they lied to the public. I have a feeling this will come back in the next Superman movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, um, and then there was the Wolverine. The Wolverine, which I did not have a chance to see. Natasha and I wanted to see it, and it just didn't work out this summer. Yep. At this point, uh, I did get I did get to see it. It was it was it was fun. Um, you know, the funny thing is, I I didn't I enjoyed uh, the the first Wolverine, the Wolverine prequel. I don't remember it being as bad as it's kind of kind of a reputation for um i mean it was also I, it was kind of forgettable i mean I'll, I'll grant you that i i never really much thought of it after or i saw it yeah but i didn't see it as bad but this was I, I enjoyed this one too um too um i was pleased you know because wolverine is one of these characters that again in the comics he's he's kind of become like batman he's a bit yeah. he's a bit overdone he can get a little too dark um, but this one, I felt like they had they did a, a nice kind of uh, noir, for lack of a better. In some ways, it's kind of a noir type story, you know, just kind of dark settings and you know, crime organizations and all Which this I kind of stuff. I think he gets occasionally in his own comic. He does when he's on his own. Yeah, yeah. He, he does get that, and I felt I felt that it worked out pretty well. Um, again, I don't know that it would have. It didn't stick with me as much as Iron Man three or Man of Steel yeah. did. I don't think. Um, Again, not saying it was bad. It just like I thought about Man of Steel for a long time afterwards, yeah. and even before a lot of the controversy bubbled up, I was thinking about themes and ideas in that one. Yeah, it was another. It had it was built in to have things represent different ideas and have opinions on. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily just about hey, look, he won or didn't win. Yeah, yeah. And Wolverine, I just I I love thinking, man, there were a lot of people who got stabbed in that. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, okay. So those are the three superhero yep. movies from this summer, and looking forward to seeing the next Thor in November. Yes. So that'll be fun. Um, but let's head back to May for Star Trek Into Darkness. Into Dark, which actually I saw a lot later than everyone else. Oh, did I you? I saw it last, like a couple weeks after it came out. Okay. Yeah, I, I kind of remember that. Very enjoyable. Yes. I mean, the new Star Treks are much more action movie than the old Star Treks, mm-hmm. which I think. Sometimes annoy Star Trek fan, hardcore Star Trek fans, but people in general tend to really like them. Mm-hmm. But they do a really good job of character, I think, mm-hmm. of just enjoyable characters. Yeah, interesting. Um, it, you know, the, the movie was called Star Trek Into Darkness, so he wanted, oh, this is kind of this is going to kind of continue the dark trend, and it it did have some of that, and you know, a lot of it felt very, you know, personal. Had the the terrorism, you know, illusions and stuff like that, but. My sister pointed out it was kind of fun. She she felt it was less dark than the last Star Trek prequel, because you know the in the other one two planets get blown up, <laughs> you know Vul- true. Vulcan and Romulan, you know, yeah. in two different universes, but still 
two different planets. Well, because it was a, it was a very personal conflict. Yeah, yeah. In many ways. But it's interesting, which was interesting to me because I realized, you know, that's true, but I didn't really think of it necessarily. And I think it's that that kind of degree of separation. The this one felt darker in some ways because it was more personal. Like we can relate to that well, stuff more. Well, because we blow than... up a planet, how do you weep for? A pl- I mean, Alderon dies. You know. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? Yes. You know, you take off your blast shield helmet and you know. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Now, Aaron is saying, halfway through the movie, I freaking hated it. It was like, dear God, if you're going to do Wrath of Khan, do Wrath of Khan. But the end made things so much better. <laughs> and it is, it is a weird it's a weird thing because it's, like, very different than Khan. And simultaneously, it, like, constantly references Khan. Yeah. Um, and reverses a lot of the, mm. the, the primal moments of the original. Yeah. Per- personally, I didn't feel like they were duplicating Wrath of Khan. I felt like, yeah, like they were they were kind of putting their own spin on things. It was it was an interesting balance of like new stuff and like very obvious homages. Mm-hmm. Like it. Spock yelling Khan yeah. and Kirk dying instead of Spock and spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I, I I enjoyed the And that's a movie I've heard people complain about fuzzy logic or Mm-hmm. You know, which probably does have, but it runs at such a pace that you don't even care. Yeah. Which I suppose makes Star Trek fans who like the yeah exact things. Yeah. Monkey. It, I mean, it, because this is a very different way of approaching Star Trek. It is. It's not quite as hardcore cerebral. I mean, it's like a Star Trek film like a Star Wars mm-hmm. in some ways. Which will be interesting to see if the next Star Wars is a little bit done more like a Star Trek. <laughs> Because I think in the last episode we didn't, the last episode we didn't know who was going to direct the new Star Wars. No, not last time. And we I don't talked. think J.J. Abrams was even one that we had considered. We in were our like, letter. oh, he had said no, he's not going to. Yeah, or like he's doing Star Trek. Of course, he's not going to do Star Wars too. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm look. I look forward to seeing the new Smoke Monster in uh, <laughs> the Star Wars <laughs> mythology. Wow. You had to throw a loss on there, didn't you? <laughs> of course, of course. Oh, I had actually had something I was going to throw in earlier. I forgot. Oh well. You did you remember it? Just vaguely. You were talking about expectations and oh, you know, yeah. and realism, fantasy. I mean, Lost did a very good job of slowly expanding what you expected out of the island. Yes. So that by season four, when it disappears, you're like, that was really weird, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I mean, you can't do that with every. I mean, that no. take that takes effort to plant to make. Sh- I mean, some people were like, "That's ridiculous," but enough people got to the point where they buy about anything. Yeah, pretty much. Well, and even that's, I guess, part of that is because it was an ongoing series, and you know, like, well, maybe they'll explain it, but then though there are other people who are like, I don't think we're gonna get all this ever explained. Yeah. So, and then that's again kind of where your differing tastes. Yeah. In reaction to the finale. But yeah, but never mind there. We've talked. Okay. We've talked ad nauseum about the finale. We don't need to go back into that. Um, okay. And then we had Lone Ranger, which oh, you yes. did not see, right? I did not see Lone Ranger, so... I don't know. It was kind of a fun popcorn movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what I tell people is that it was parts of it was fun. The the final action scene, the last 10, 15 minutes, was just a blast. I mean, you got Willem Terrell Overture, and it just... My fu- my sort of like, woohoo, let's have fun. <laughs> um, but it's kind of overlong, and... Mm-hmm. Kind of drags at part points, which you re- you really shouldn't have a movie like Lone Ranger do that. Mm-hmm. It just if it had been trimmed down and narrowed, it might have been a lot more just more more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you something as someone who hasn't seen it, just yeah, curious about other people's reactions. I I saw one reviewer 
uh, heard someone say that, like, they sort of seemed ashamed in the sense of their heritage. Like, they didn't, you know, because you look at the, a lot of the posters, it looks like, you know, Johnny Depp looks ridiculous the way he's out, he's dressed. But they they put more attention on Johnny Depp in this, like, Native American thing. Yeah, I, again, I, I don't think I've ever watched the original Lone Ranger. Well, I'm, I've never so, watched it. I, I've, I've heard some but, radio drama. Which but they've... Is, but, you could tell that they were kind of trying to distance themselves from. They would make, you know, like he goes high O silver, and then Johnny Depp says, "Don't ever do that again." I mean, mm. they're 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 trying to update it. You know, they're trying to be Lone Ranger without any of the Lone Ranger stuff in some yeah. ways. Uh-huh. And you could tell that there was this this issue of you know how we treated Native Americans underneath everything, mm-hmm. because like it's really kind of depressing that at the end, like when the credits were rolling, just old Tonto. Just walking off in the distance for like six minutes and with this kind of depressing music. Um, That's a weird because, way to end a Disney blockbuster. Yeah. It, so so there obviously was some concern about, you know, how we treat Native Americans, which, you know, was horrible in many cases. Mm-hmm. But it's a it was kind of a weird thing to put inside of the mm-hmm. Disney movie. I know there were just there's just lots of elements that like didn't quite gel or it was too much or it was just it was just gangly yeah i kind of get a f- sense that hollywood doesn't really know how to do a family-friendly blockbuster western anymore like you, you can get people like the cohen brothers who do true grit and that's yeah. you know they'll do a pretty you know authentic realistic kind of western but we don't it's like we don't know how to do a fantasy you know a more fairy tale well, americana is- fan- western anymore Black and white things are hard to get away with. I mean, we will do it in you know just your per, you know your die hard sort of deals, mm-hmm. um, terrorists, terrorists and stuff because that's kind of the accepted black and white mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, the western's complicated. You know, there's it's it's been complicated. Yeah, in the modern mind. And if you, I suppose, if you look, you know, for people like Brian, he prefers the more complicated things like the searchers anyway. Well, which is a fabulous movie. Oh yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, oh, that's true. Brosnan points out Mask of Zorro. Which, which is a very good one. Yeah, I, I can see that. Actually, Lone Ranger remind me of Mask of Zorro, but Mask of Zorro was better. Okay. I mean, I think just generally rewatch value and stuff. Okay. Though, I, I could watch that last 15-minute action thing, you know, a couple times. <laughs> By itself. By probably. itself. It was pretty awesome. Okay, cool. Largely because I love music and action put together. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, we need we need more uh, action scenes up the classical music. Yes. So I think I think we need a whole movie that's just action scene with music. <laughs> I'd be I, I was thinking the um actually earlier today how interesting it would be to have like even if it was just a short film like an a completely a silent action movie completely instrumental the whole way through no dialogue. I saw a short film like that somewhere. It was crazy. It was it was all sil- I don't know if it was instrumental but it was all silent. It was just it was it was all through a go cam thing, you know, on your head. Oh, okay. It was like yeah. it was like eight minutes of him running around and jumping down places and killing people. Oh, interesting. Oh, I think I've heard. I might have heard of this. That thing was nuts. I'll have to go check it yeah, out. Yeah, it was cool. If we find it, we'll put it in the show notes. Cool. Very cool. Well, final uh, summer movie that I had on the list to talk about was uh, Pacific Rim, which I have not seen. Um, I, I did see it. Um, I I enjoyed it. I don't think I loved it as much as some people did. Um, giant robots and giant monster things. It's it's just not my shtick. Um, I mean, I like I said, I re- I enjoyed what they did with it. That was fun, but like at the, at the end, it was like uh, I'm not gonna be like head over heels in love with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did like 
Um, I liked what they did with uh, some of the cinematography. Um, some of the again, editing was a bit of a problem because um, I felt like there were some fights where I was it was kind of hard to tell what had happened. But at the same time, I really like what they did with some of the camera shots and some of and like the colors, especially, you know, there's sort of a tendency in a lot of um, I mean, Man of Steel did this. I mean, it's an artistic choice to do kind of this not quite monochromatic sort of muted sort of yeah muted kind of tones to everything. Um, but the director del Toro uh, for this, he, he chose, he chose to have lots of colors in it because, you know, there's a, I mean, not in every scene. There's like, I think one of the opening ones they are like in the middle of the ocean and yeah, that one's not quite as much, but like, Toward the second half of the movie, especially like the, there's a big fight in Tokyo, of course. Well, yeah. <laughs> and they use, you know, all the neon signs and stuff. And it's all very vibrant colors, too. So that's and that's pretty cool. And then the last scene is actually on the bottom of the ocean. But by this vent, which this vent is where like all these extra, you know, dimensional creatures are coming okay. from, basically. So that's where they fight in the bottom of the sea. And it's it's really cool. Like the the reds and the like the heat that's coming out from it. And uh, I, I got some at the very end, I was getting some vibes of Ava with like like the 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 digital clock counting down yeah. and, you know, this kind of stuff. Actually, I got vibes of Ava occasionally. Well, I mean, you got giant you have people driving giant robots. Right, I mean, right. And it, it didn't grab me emotionally nearly as much as Ava would. Uh, I don't know what <laughs> what would. <laughs> yeah. But it does make me think, having seen this, I do believe now that a live-action Ava movie would be possible if they were foolhardy enough well, to do it. I, I'd, I'd have to go see it, but... I know you... I, my, my, I may never recover. <laughs> we're still waiting on uh, Ava 3, aren't we? Isn't that supposed to come out pretty soon? Um... That's a good question. I don't remember if it's come did out ever... in the Japan. Because sometimes we get things like a year after yeah, this come out in Japan. Do we do the take on Tales on the Ava movie? We should sometime on all of them. Possibly. I, I know we've mentioned yeah. we really liked Ava too. Yeah. It was really, yeah, really very good. Which honestly, we should probably watch them again sometime because it, that's been a while ago. Yeah. So. Okay. Anyway, um, I think that's that's and all the summer yeah, movies well, I got. We miss Monsters... University. Yeah, I really wanted to see that, and hopefully, still will, because I don't think it's hit the dollar theater in Fort Wayne yet. I don't think I saw her almost any other movies this summer. I just no. watched Oblivion. Oh yeah, first time. that was interesting. Oh, okay, good sci-fi. That's the Tom Cruise one, yeah. right? I mean, very, very, truly sci-fi, mm-hmm. which you don't get a lot. Yeah, yeah. I kind of felt the summer movies were more manageable this year in some ways, in terms of ones that I really wanted to see. Yeah. Um, did you see the Spickle Me too? No, I did not. Okay, I didn't see that. Um, but like, yeah, there was like, I, th- I felt like after uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, it was, it was like a month before I saw the next one. Some summers you're like, oh man, there's all kinds yeah. of stuff I want to see. This summer's like, mm, I kind of want to see this and this and that'll be. That'll be yeah, there are other ones I'm like, oh, I could see that, but oh well, I don't have time. Yeah. Yeah. You were traveling all over this summer. It, it was a very busy summer and things are settling down into a decent rhythm now. That's most enjoyable. Okay, real quick, we'll do one final segment. I don't have the the stinger uh, ready for this right now because I wasn't expecting to do a listener feedback until earlier, earlier today. Listener feedback. Um, feedback. But real quick, um, our uh, one of our longtime listeners, Greg Meyer, he found out that we were going to be uh, uh, doing this. Uh, I told him about it last night. I don't think he was able to listen to it live stream, but he did send us an email. Which I'll just read real quick because I actually had a chance to read it, or at least maybe we'll skim through some of it. 
Uh, he says, hey, Tim and Nick, I'm so glad to hear the podcast is back. Didn't know where to turn for a good podcast on story creation, which yeah, I don't really know. I, I haven't looked either, but no, that's true because ours is the best. So. <laughs> In the interim between podcast episodes, I tried creating Tim and Nick's tick figures to take your place, but they wouldn't stop talking about Lost Star Wars and Muppets. I have no idea what you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. We never talk about those things. When the subject of early children's literature came up, they tumbled over the edge of my desk, arguing over which Dr. Seuss book was the best. Sadly, we'll never know all the places they'd go. You know what? You know what Dr. Seuss book has been reading to feel a lot? What? If I owned a circus. You ever read that one? With the um, circus McGurkis? I, I think so, yeah. He loves it. It's, it takes like 15, 15, 20 minutes to read to him because it's just ridiculously long, but he likes it. I remember I remember, I had my used to have my aunts read to me... Um, or I would read or have someone read a cat in the hat like over and over and over again until it got to a point like like um, actually, I don't know if they read it completely, but they used to say it wasn't any fun to read stories to me because they couldn't like skip words or like, you know, make stuff up like <laughs> Dr. Seuss is long. It takes an <laughs> investment of time to read one of those books. But I, I, I would know well, well enough and be like, no, 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 go back, read that. <laughs> and, you know, they were teenagers. Like, my, I had very young aunts at yeah. the time, and so they were teenagers, and so they'd try to skip stuff, and I wouldn't let them get away with it. <laughs> so anyway, a uh, question for Greg puts to us. Um, says, a few months ago, graphic novelist Doug Tenaple said, paraphrasing here, that the way for the audience to care about your characters is to show them suffering. Well, I know characters need to grow. Is there a limit to how much you make your characters suffer? Oh, yes. This is a this is something he's suggested for us. And I think that could be a whole story school yeah, in the maybe, future. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that'll be something interesting about uh, about that. So thanks, Greg. We're glad that you're listening. We're, we're glad to be back. Why don't we do that for our next one? So talk about uh, suffering and stories? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've done that once before. We can do it at a different angle. Didn't we do suffering once? We've talked about tragedy. Oh, okay. So okay. I think I think we have a little different angle. Okay, right? good. Yeah, why about. not? So... Um, I've, I was kind of hoping to grab another one of, uh, Aaron's comments cause he's been, Aaron's been great in commenting through this whole thing, but, uh, he's usually like a few minutes behind just cause that's the way the broadcast kind of works. He's, yeah. he's like in a different time stream. Um, <laughs> nice Doctor Who reference there. Oh, thank you. Uh, he points out hot fuzz. The movie changed three different times, but they suddenly warn you that the template of the movie is changing, which is true. It's a, it's a pretty good. No, I never seen Hot Fuzz. You have? I no. thought you had. I thought no, Natasha has. has. Oh, there's, a, there's probably a, a great many movies that I have not seen that she has. Because she watches it while you're at work. Well, I'm at, work, I'm at youth group or oh, I'm okay. at yeah. work or I'm writing and I go in and watch it. Okay, yeah, it, that's true. Yeah, because the first part is kind of a, it kind of starts as a buddy comedy and then it sort of transitions into. Uh, a uh, kind of weird mystery thing, and then like the last third of it is this, this overblown action thing, nice with like guns and old ladies with like with shotguns and yeah. stuff like that. So pretty fun stuff. So that's yeah, that's a good example of kind of transitioning multiple templates within the same one. Uh, he also said that his wife uh, enjoyed. Iron Man 3, but saw an article where someone pitched a plot for a movie that included a more traditional Mandarin. Um, she's, she's, she was sad that the movie didn't work. Um, hmm. So, yeah, interesting. It'd be be cool to hear how it sounded out. Um, huh. Also, the apparent, and this Aaron is a comics fan, so he would know this. He says, the problem with Iron Man is that he has almost no good villains. This would be like making Lex a joke in a Superman movie. <laughs> so... Anyway, which I look for. I'm sure Lex will probably be in the next Superman movie whenever that comes out. Yeah. Oh, Aaron corrects me. He says it was Hong Kong, not uh, Tokyo, which I just took it for granted. It was Tokyo because 
Because it's Tokyo. Yeah, it's Tokyo. It's just the sort of thing that happens there. Like every five years or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it's a bit of that's a, that's a taste of uh, some of the conversation. Sorry, we haven't really been able to conversate back with you, Brosman, because it's we need to set it up so we can type back to him at least. Yeah. While we're while we're while we're doing it. Yeah. What we need, Nick, is we need like a, a multi-screen setup here because right now we're just doing this off of a laptop. Yeah. And so, if anyone has a great deal of money just hanging around, they don't know what to do with. <laughs> uh, Tim Deal will take it <laughs> gladly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. Or if you happen to be from Nigeria. <laughs> yes. If you. Sure. <laughs> All right, well, we better bow out because this is turning into a pretty long episode and it's not even like our anniversary no. or something. But it's a great comeback. It's a great, it's been great to come back and uh, and be with you guys and have you guys hear our beautiful voices again. <laughs> um, so, Nick, why don't you uh, set us up some contact info here? All right, so you can always email us, and we love email, at derailedtrains at gmail.com. Um, our podcast will be ho- hosted at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com and also available on iTunes in maybe a few days before um, we figure out how to get all that worked out with the live streaming. Yeah, uh, hopefully it shouldn't take too long. Well, yeah, it may be Saturday or something. Yeah. Um, the It should be available to to play right away on, on Mixler. On Mixler. We'll, put, we'll put a link on our... Yeah, but we'll put it on the blog, and that will get it hooked into the iTunes yeah. feed and all that. Um, okay. Um, for Oh, when, when's the next time we'll be recording, do you think? I, I guess we don't know. Right? We haven't really planned We, we should have planned that out. I, probably two Thursdays from now. Yeah, right? Yeah, probably. Or uh, you mean two weeks from now, yeah. 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 Two weeks from now, or are we, are we going to do, do monthly? Or, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you. Yeah, we're not sure if we're doing this bi-weekly again or we're doing monthly. It might yeah. be more doable to do bi-weekly again yeah. if it if turns out, if we can turn it out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, okay. For my soundtrack to close us out here, I'm going with something from the awesome, awesome, awesome OC Remix album, Balance and Ruin. It is awesome. <laughs> it is this is the one we've been waiting for you you know we love final fantasy 6 if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time we've had final fantasy 6 songs on here numerous times numerous times and um this is i gotta figure out see i think this is on this too come on bounce rune is like eight hours of free music or something like that yeah, oh. well, I think it's actually six hours. And and it's and it's all good. It's there's, all good. There's only like a handful of stuff that I'll I'll skip. Um, and actually, my I'll say my my one complaint, Nick, is there's not enough uh, Celeste on it. Oh wow! Like there's like there's there's three. She's her her theme is in like three times within yeah. the, like the opera tracks. Well, that's about it, though, isn't it? Well, yeah, but like you know, when they come back after the ruin, you know, she the whole story is about her at first. Yeah. Though, you know, that's there's a whole scene where she. It is surprising they don't have another one by herself. Yeah, just just that. By and there's itself. not enough Kefka. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, no, no, there's the playing Kefka. I could always use Kefka. <laughs> that's probably true. It's one of my favorite tracks. Okay, where is the one I'm looking for? Oh, there it is. Okay, so the one the track I chose for soundtrack today is called Bad Octopus. This is by uh, Fishy with some uh, help from a guy called XPR... Expert Novice. Oh, Expert Novice. Okay, well, that makes sense. 
Um, and I say this correlates to our theme. In a sense. <laughs> you know, Final Fantasy VI has got a lot of very dramatic moments in it. You know, the world gets destroyed. Um, character attempts suicide. There's very dramatic moments, a very dramatic soundtrack. Um, but then you also got some really ridiculous stuff in it, too. It, it blends it like probably no... It blends the ridiculous and the dramatic probably better than any Final Fantasy. You got like you've got ninjas, a girl who can draw and monsters come out of it and all kinds of stuff. And this song, I think, pretty well emulates it. It's, you know, it's called Bad Octopus inspired by a minor villain who's an octopus. Who's ridiculous. Yeah, who is pretty ridiculous. And it, it alternates pretty well from the um, from the rock and dramatic to the absolute goofy insane. So I hope you enjoy. So until next time, uh, this has been Tim. This has been Nick. And we will see you uh, next time. Adios. Bye.